Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Regan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. I am so excited to announce the launch of a new podcast network called DNA Podcast Network. The Design Network Alliance, or DNA, was founded by Evo Hanan and myself as a result of DesignCast number 16. We talked all about the need to connect design educators globally. DNA is a collective group of like-minded design educators from around the world. We have one simple mission, to connect design and STEAM educators with each other and with designers that want to make a difference in design education to make it better for future generations. The DNA Podcast Network is a hub for podcasts that cover the topics around design, design and technology, design thinking, STEAM, and STEM education. If you are interested in hearing more great content, head over to www.dnapodcastnetwork.ga today. Click on the thumbnail of the podcast that you want to hear and enjoy. If you have any other podcasts that you enjoy that cover similar topics, please feel free to get in touch with me and let me know so that I can look at adding them to the network. Finally, spread the word. Share with your network and your PLN and use the hashtag DNA Podcast Network.
On today's episode of DesignCast, I had the awesome opportunity to chat with Michael Cohen. Michael, aka the Tech Rabbi, is the Director of Innovation at Yeshiva University High Schools in Los Angeles. He is also the founder of Let'sDoubleUp.com. DoubleUp's mission is to prepare teens with the skills today to stand out and showcase their unique ideas and strengths to top universities, dream companies, or to the spirit to start their own. Our conversation is really lively and filled with great insight, so I'm sure that you will enjoy it. Remember to check the show notes to find out how to connect with him. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Michael Cohen. Welcome back to another episode of DesignCast, and I am here with Michael Cohen. I am really excited to have the tech rabbi with me. And so, Michael, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to chat with you today, mostly because I'm, I'm such a design nerd on, on every possible level. And when you originally reached out to me, I just thought design cast, this sounds like my kind of podcast. I hope that I don't disappoint. I know that you won't disappoint. Michael, do you mind telling everyone a little bit about your journey into becoming an educator? The journey has been a fun one. It's definitely been interesting, at least for me. I, I hope others will gain insight. I think that there's, there's sort of two ways that I have found people appreciate the journey that I share. So one is for those that education is your second career, right? That's, that's me. And I think that sometimes those types of educators feel a little bit lonely in the, in, in a professional context that they didn't go through a you know, a teacher program for undergrad, maybe they don't even have a, a traditional teaching degree at all. But for me, I was a designer. That's what I did. I was a creative director, I was a designer. And it just happened that just through a sort of a series of interesting opportunities, I found this role to teach design courses at a, a trade school fashion institute in downtown LA where I'm based out of. And I thought, how cool, I'll teach up and coming designers how to be you know, really great users of Photoshop and Illustrator. And that's what I did. And I did not consider myself to be an educator. I was a designer helping other designers. And after this first semester, I got teacher evaluations back, which I I had forgotten that, you know, such a thing even existed. And they were super positive. And the department chair calls me into her office and says, you know, we, we don't usually get evaluations like this. And we want to offer you three more courses to teach. It's like, all right, let's, let's do it. It was 2008. And in the United States, at least, because I, I know you have an international audience. In the United States, we were in a, a pretty bad recession. The design and marketing work that I was doing doing, it wasn't as as busy as it had been in years past. So I said, okay, you know what, here's an opportunity. And it's it's a, a semi stable income. So I, I grabbed at it. And I fell in love with with teaching. And I didn't realize that I think I always had this desire to help others elevate their ability and their knowledge. And that's that's what an educator is, right? By, uh, you know, by, by pure definition. So I began to look at more and more opportunities to feel like an educator, to engage in leadership capacity, to continue to support students. And fast forward, you know, this is right, you know, right around 2008, 2009. So now finishing, you know, in the midst of my 11th year in education, I have had 
uh, different roles as a director of education technology. I have had a role as a consultant, as a speaker, also as an author. And all the things that I've done in this this 11-year snapshot have really been about wanting to provide the most value that I can for what I do. Like if I love what I'm doing and if I think that what I'm doing is impacting others, impacting students. So I want to be able to package that in a way that others can engage in the same types of opportunities to support their colleagues, to support their students. And I've always made sure that I, I keep a, at least at least one foot in the classroom, because I, I never want to be, you know, whether it's an administrator, a consultant, a speaker, I never want to be out of touch with the realities of educators in the trenches, in the classrooms, dealing with the mission of education, which is to raise up that next generation. Uh, right now, I am a director of innovation for a boys high school in Los Angeles, Yeshiva University Boys High School. And I've been there for three years and I have launched a incubator program there that really focuses on entrepreneurship, innovative practice, really trying to take steam and apply it in a problem solving context. And three years in the making, we now have students that are launching product, launching prototypes, you know, my, my sort of my, my golden goose is what I call them, is uh, a, a group of students right now that uh, they're actually raising pre-seed, a six-figure uh, pre-seed funding round right now that uh, is very close to closing. Another group that is partnering with a very big learning management system company as well. So while I have many students that, uh, you know, hundreds of students that have gone through my, my course that I've supported that are definitely smarter and more confident than where where they began. Entrepreneurship is a hard thing and not everybody can just like make a company. These two examples, you know, two out of, you know, a hundred attempts is actually a really high, really high rate of success <laughs> in that space. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very timely because today I actually announced the launch of my startup that is a teenage entrepreneurship experience called double up. And I just put that out literally like last night and today on LinkedIn <laughs> and on Clubhouse, which is this this really cool audio app that, that I've been on for, for a month or so now. Uh, so it's real now. And uh, it's pretty, it's a pretty awesome moment to, for me to celebrate, uh, not just hopefully my success, but that I have students that are just absolutely defying the odds of what young people are quote unquote capable of doing. That's really, really, really exciting. I think anyone listening would totally identify with, with your journey to get where you are and what you're doing. And so what led you to working with the students in this way that you're currently working with these startups and these, you know, innovative classes? So how did that start? Was there a need in the school or did the administration ask you or how did, how did all that begin? The administration recruited me three years ago, December to create a program that would foster this kind of experience. And in my travels, I, you know, I, I've always been really focused on design and creativity, but creativity as a mindset, not as a skill set, not as artistic or musical or culinary, but really trying to show people that the creativity that everybody has just needs to be nurtured. It's not something that you're missing and then you get it. That's been my North Star as in, in everything that I do, whether I'm a director of education technology for a K-8 school 
school, whether I work at a high school, whether I'm just in a design instructor, I'm always trying to find ways to give students skill and knowledge so that they level up. The specific focus on startup and entrepreneurship is just, you know, I, I've always been in the tech space. I have a lot of friends that work for tech companies, that run tech companies, that are, you know, investors in the tech space. And that that's always been something that in one way I am I'm trying to connect those types of experiences to my students. And I just realized that it needed to be official, it needed to be dedicated. There's a lot of challenges with that, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into it as, as we sort of build out this conversation. But on paper, an innovation program sounds and looks, it's great marketing, it, it sounds very progressive, but there, there is a fundamental, like a systematic element of education, at least in the United States, that is very hard to shake, and it actually runs the complete opposite of the of the concept of entrepreneurship. I have to agree. I'm doing a lot of reading right now, actually, about the antiquated systems that all of our education systems are built on. <laughs> and so I think there's so many changes that need to take place. And so, so let's go ahead and I'll ask you, what are some of those challenges that you've had to face as you've worked into this situation where you're working with students and, and building out these programs? That's where you have to start. It's easy to start with the amazing moments and, and these very isolated experiences. But the system, at least in, in, in the United States, I just I hear so much about really amazing progressive, just progressive practices in Asia, Southeast Asia, the Scandinavian countries. But there's something that in, in the United States, it's, it's, it's very, it's very odd. And I just want to preface what I'm sharing with, with sort of like what influenced me to think think this way and, and then look for these things. So there is a, a professor, Professor Young Zhao. He is, I, I believe, still a professor at University of Kansas. He was ISTE, one of the ISTE keynote speakers in, I believe, 2012. And he shared an, an amazing moment of the difference between the United States and a lot of these other countries that are looked at as stellar test takers, you know, the PISA exam, these international, these international tests for reading, for math, for science. And he said that there's an interesting correlation and he shows these two graphs. So one is like, you know, the United States is, is I mean, they're not even like top 10. I think they're like barely in the top 50 in on these standardized tests. But then when you compare that data scope to how many patents are published by citizens of the country, because there's also a, a patent statistic where it's people that are, are you know, coming in on visas and working for countries, uh, companies in, in those countries, but citizens of the United States, and they're always in, in the top two one or two. It's basically between them and, and, and South Korea. So he starts to show how this test taking, not only does it stunt innovation, but its success has no relationship to innovation. In school today, I have students, I have two types of students that come into my class, actually three. One, it's, it's two because one is actually not in my class, but I'll explain. So we have a student who is taking and it's the, the course is an elective, right? Creativity and business innovation. It's an elective. You you make sure it works in your schedule. If it can work in your schedule, you might say, 
I'm not in this for the grade. I'm in this because this class sounds amazing and I want to I want to build business skills. I'm super hungry, you know, for for innovation and I want to make this happen. The other students going to say, I'm taking this because it's an elective. What do I need to do to get an A? Then there's the students that won't even take the class because it doesn't work with their schedule or because it's not an honors class and it will actually lower their GPA. So I have students in some of my classes that are auditing my class. They're showing up every single day, sometimes more than students that are actually in the class because they can't have their GPA get lowered even if they get an A plus 100% in the class, it'll still lower their GPA. So this system has been created where students only care about their GPA because they're conditioned that the only way to succeed in life is high high school GPA translates into a high chance of getting accepted into your top school, which Mm -hmm. results in a high chance at getting accepted to your first career, your first job, and then life will be happily ever after. But then you have to have innovation, right? You want to have innovation in your in your school, and you want to be able to bring that extra experience beyond, you know, academic success and, you know, college, you know, college focus and, and, and all of these other really important things. So I'm not here to, to undercut or, or say that we need to, you know, get rid of taking, you know, academic serious, but there's something fundamental where a school is is designing an experience because society says this is the experience that says it values innovation, but then puts these these obstacles in mm-hmm. in, in the in front of the students that are trying to attempt innovation. I, I think anyone listening will identify with that because <laughs> many of us teach courses that are maybe considered elective or maybe considered a class that you're like you said might lower someone's GPA or might hamper their opportunities in the future. And so I completely agree. And I think that's a really interesting illustration that you, well, an example that you shared where the U.S. is always falling behind in the test taking, but yet they're still being more innovative. <laughs> and so therefore the two do not really necessarily collate, do they? They don't necessarily work together. So that's a really interesting illustration. Thank you for sharing that. Do you recruit your students? Do you share you know, presentations with future students? How is it that you you get the students interested in doing what they're doing? Or is it just word of mouth? You know, What is it that gets them in the class? I have student ambassadors. I guess there's two ways that you can end up being an, an ambassador. There's the ambassadors that lead by example, and then there's the ambassadors that that promote experience. Because one of the things that I, I, I really try to emphasize with the students when they are hearing about the course for the first time, when they're looking at considering being part of it, is that you know, it's called creativity and business innovation. It used to be called the entrepreneurial spark. And I think that that was a turnoff for some students because entrepreneurship is actually a very narrow output of potential business innovation and potential upskilling or or skill development for for young people. Not everybody is supposed to launch a business. And I once heard, I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk say, the number 25 at Facebook is going to make more money than 90% of entrepreneurs. So if you're doing, if you're be, if you want to be an entrepreneur because you want to be financially successful, this is not the right route. You need to look what what does it take to get hired at these these big companies that, that carry these big salary and and bonus and, and stock stock options, right? Like that's what you need to do. So I really try to get my students to understand that there's there's skill building where you could build a skill that could be a, a gig 
service, a freelance service. You want to get, you know, develop your marketing skills. You want to develop your design skills, your, your video content creation skills. Like you could create and you could do that. And then it's not, it's not necessarily always about the content. It's about the process. I have students that I, I really try to support as intrapreneurs. What skills do you need to get noticed by the top corporate law firm on the West Coast? What type of skills do you need to get hired at Microsoft? What kind of skills do you need to one day be, you know, a middle level manager for a big tech company and, and really look at, at that support? And then there's the students that they have a great startup idea. You know, I just actually I, I joined this very interesting networking platform this week called Lunch Club. And it, it randomly pairs. It uses some algorithm to pair you with people that have similar interests. And it paired me with an architect. And I was like, at first I, I was thinking like, why, like, why would this algorithm think that I need to connect with an architect? And then I thought to myself, I need to expand, you know, my mind a little bit and not be so, you know, rigid in what value I can get from connecting with people. Uh, it also happens to be that I have a group of students that's working on an interesting startup around architecture and supporting architects. And when I shared it with her, she was like through the roof, excited about such a, such a, a solution to a problem that she says is very real in the in the architect profession. So I was like, oh, that's great, right? So I have students that are that are creating and the ones that are very successful, like I said, when you when you hear that juniors in high school are are getting ready to precede fund, you know, at a six figure level, their startup, you know, people are talking about that. But not everybody wants that. And so it's important for me to mm -hmm. have those moments, but then have students that are like, you know, I, I have probably 30 students this year that were recruited by a 10 minute Zoom conversation last spring <laughs> with one of one of my now seniors who just couldn't stop talking about how amazing the course is. Mm -hmm. Our students are our best sales people uh, when it comes to these things. And that's neat that you noticed that the, the name was kind of off-putting for some students. And so it's great that you were able to pivot a little bit and make some adjustments midstream or, or whenever that was. And so let me ask you, too, just very quickly, are you guys still in distance learning or are you in face-to-face -face or what are we're you We're in a hybrid. Doing? We have mornings where the school that I, that I teach at, it's dual curriculum. So they have prayer and Judaic studies in the morning until okay. 12. And then from 12, you know, on a normal day, it's 12 to five. But because it's it's hybrid, we, mm -hmm. we end actually at 230. The the afternoon is 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 remote. So we're we're getting like we're, we're inching our way closer. This, you know, in, in California, I mean, every state <laughs> right now has its own wild interpretation of how mm -hmm. to deal with uh, this pandemic. So our school is um, all the students are outside, you know, in open space, you know, socially oh, okay. distant, of course, but they're not, they're not inside, they're, they're outside, socially mm -hmm. distant. I mean, it's LA, we have great weather. They're in, you know, little, little kind of shaded, you know, tent canopy, mm -hmm. and then they hop on Zoom. So my classes are on Zoom. And so I actually okay. go, I go in sometimes in the morning, uh, just to see human beings. I, I miss the connection. I really yeah, do. Absolutely. I think that's probably the biggest things teachers have missed at, at the core is that teachers are relational creatures and we really want to, we thrive in those environments. And so it's been really hard for a lot of teachers I know. And so I'm, do you find working as a remote teacher teaching this? Is there, is it easier? Is it harder? Is it just different? You know, what's, cause I can imagine you do a lot of hands-on and group activities when you're in person. How has that changed your practice 
being in a remote setting? It is really hard. <laughs> it is really hard. Uh, it's hard because it's so individualized mm -hmm. and it's, you know, it, I, I can give them in the beginning of the, of the year, I, I have certain activities and independent work that they, they can work on it and pace it, you know, based on their capacity or, or their level of enthusiasm and engagement, but it, it's, it's a little bit easier, but once it gets into, you know, the middle of the semester and they've already sort of committed to a project, it's like putting them in a, in, in all in breakout rooms and then me jumping around to each you know, each breakout room is, is super hard, super stressful. Yeah, I, I won't pretend like I am a master online instructor for, for this type of class. I think that my my workshops where everybody is like on the same page, I've heard from those people that had to suffer through another Zoom PD that it, it was engaging, it was hands-on, it wasn't a monologue. But for this, I'm, I'm tweaking it on a regular basis. You know, I'll put, I'll put some students in their own group breakout rooms because they're working independently but there's just like, I feel like in a, in a traditional space where they're okay, like, here's the guiding question of the day. And like, everybody, let's hop on Flipgrid or Mural or one of these <laughs> platforms to, to contribute and have conversation. We don't really have that because they're like working on their own thing. And not everybody cares that, you know, this guy's on stage two of this marketing process, or, you know, this student right here is struggling with embroidery software that just mm -hmm. won't function properly and, and things like that. So it has not sparked joy, I don't right. think, for right. any of us. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, but there are students that are getting things done. And those are the mm -hmm. students that they get it, they're passionate, and they are working not just when it's time to show up for class, mm -hmm. they're, they're working on this. On, on their own time because they, they care about it. I mean, I like to make the podcast evergreen. I don't want to always talk about <laughs> what the current situation is, but I, I feel like this is important because everyone's kind of handling it differently. But when you're able to get back on campus and things normalize somewhat, what's your vision for as your, as your program grows, this design innovation incubator? How, what's your vision for that? The space that we have our innovation lab in was designed by me. So all of the surfaces, the furniture, the, the equipment, everything is set up in a way that, that I envision a powerful and productive innovation space needs to needs to needs to function in person it's a lot easier because you know i have a student that's working on 3d design so they can do small tests on the 3d printer like right then and there in class i have students that are you know trying to develop a clothing company so he can be working on our computer aided uh, embroidery machine i have students that you know, need to map out their app process. So they're using, you know, our giant whiteboard space. I have students that just need a comfortable place to sit and just work. And they just need me to come connect with them when it's time to, to get support or get feedback. So we, we you know, we have a, the ability to set it up as a lecture, but I just feel like that's what ends up happening in the Zoom space is it's either a lecture or some sort of creative medium to foster discussion. And it's just not very conducive to independent work with check-in. And I, I have creative ways. I mean, I even like, I literally train people on creative ways to support distance learning that 
you know, as you mentioned, evergreen is things that like should be be used in, in a regular classroom. Like there's a strategy I use where you make a Google slide presentation and you assign an individual or a group one of the slides. And then you can actually toggle the view of Google Slides from one single slide at a time to grid view that shows all the slides at once. And you can live see the students input the, the information that you need them answer the question or find this, this piece of information and, and contribute it in your slide. And it, it, you see live engagement. So with that strategy, you don't need to go into the breakout room, let's say in Zoom, or you can see this without having to walk around and check in with students continuously because you're seeing them working. You know, with my students, you know, they're not always taking notes, right? They're not always needing that that kind of that kind of input. Mm-hmm. So in person, there's just a lot more that can get done especially with the hands-on type experiences that students are working on, where like they work all week during the elective. And then we have this after-school program two days a week that they can come in and do some work within this like one hour block. So it's not much time to like do anything except have your 3D print ready to get in the printer or, you know, try to set up the embroidery yeah, machine sure. or, or the laser cutter, you know, what, whatever it is. But sure, sure. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to run an innovation lab remotely. It is. It's a challenge. And I think that's been the biggest question I've gotten for the past 12 months from the people I network with is how are you shifting from an an in-person to an online kind of environment and still ensuring that you're teaching skills and still ensuring that you're doing this and that. And I don't know if you can completely do that. I think that we've done our best to adapt, but hopefully we can go back and have new ways of thinking and knowing and teaching after all of this madness is over. And so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your book. I'd love to hear more about Educated by design. Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of the story is the mission of the book. The, the book is really a moment of reflection for me, not just the journey from designer and creative director to educator, but really just looking at the, the people that I've interacted with over the years, the, the students that I support, what are what makes someone capable of coming up with a good idea? You know, you're in the middle of a meeting and you you, you propose an idea and people are like, wow, like, how did you think of that? Well, I mean, it, it does, it's not just this like random thing where it just like pops into your head and, and there's that great idea. There are a series of, of steps and, and there are principles of creativity that not everybody is aware of the relationships between them. So each chapter focuses on one principle of creativity. There's more than 10, but these are the, these are the 10 that I just feel are what makes, what, what sets the stage for a lot of really amazing opportunity and growth for, for young people, but also for educators. I, I, I wrote the book for educators to reveal their own creativity so they could help their students do the same. I, I try my best to make sure that that's what it looked like. So it's it's ideas, it's stories, but it's also activities. Every single chapter mm-hmm. finishes with some sort of action that will apply the principles. So, you know, creativity is a mindset, uh, focus on failure, empathy, really, really emphasizing, and, and I think clarifying collaboration versus cooperative practice, you know, how ideas should lead to action, the role of technology in that waiting for permission analysis paralysis you know oh it's, it's is it aligned with the pedagogy is it you know does it have the proper standards like okay yeah be thoughtful be prepared but you got to be a little bit more open to experiment and, and make things hands on and then mm-hmm. the last two chapters are chapter 9 is about putting your soul into it really showing students that 
We love our profession so much. We love being able to support young people in this discipline, in this niche, in this this type of content, and and that they should learn how to put their soul into the work that they do so that they don't end up finding a profession that that might pay them a lot of money and they might be miserable every single day of their life. And then the final chapter is about humility and really being aware of your abilities, but not Mm -hmm. taking them for granted. And, you know, humility, it's like kind of a hard thing to write a chapter about humility. So I really try to borrow (laughs) from, you know, the the archetype of humility for me is is Moses, right? Moses It says, you know, in the Bible, he was the humblest of all men. What does that mean? He was the humblest. He like he was he did some pretty serious things, some pretty amazing things. And I, I read a commentary that said that humility is not about thinking about yourself less. It's about thinking about others more. That really captured this this sort of Moses humility for me, which is that as educators, we need to instill in our students that you can be successful, you can be proud and, and, and know what you are amazing at, but it cannot be at the expense of other people. This really is, is a great way to finish the book because, you know, mindset builds confidence, but confidence can move towards ego and mm-hmm. ego is the ultimate blocker for all things good and, and really long-term success and happiness. So that, that really, that's the cat, that's the capture of the book in uh, on one foot. That's excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. And, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about the challenges and, and the struggles that are, it sounds exciting what's going on with your, with your students. Can you, I know you've said you've just launched this startup yourself. Are you able to tell me a little bit about that? Well, now it's out on the internet. Like, okay. It is, <laughs> well, it's it, true then, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. It, it is out on the internet, whether it's good or not, and people are going to be as excited about it as, as me. It is out there. Uh, the, the startup is called Double Up. The website is letsdoubleup.com. It is a community. It's really a community. And that that's, that's what I'm hoping to foster. And this community is a space that I really hope is going to support teens, our, our focus right now is is 15 to 19 to support teens in developing skills today that they can use to stand out and really showcase not just their uniqueness, their unique ideas, their insights, but also their strengths to a top university, a dream company, or the spirit to start their own. And these are really those three those three forks in how innovation can manifest for young people. And we're we're gonna we're building a community. We're going to have courses. We're going to have cohorts. We're having events. And our first event is a, a five day challenge that will be taking place in the very beginning of February, January thirty first, February first is our is our soft launch. But it's a, it's a five day challenge that's going to build out five different components of a innovator and five components of what you need to to basically be a linchpin, really, really be Mm -hmm. someone that has the mindset, understands how to map out a a journey, build a plan to act on, to grow, understanding the value of a network, the, the, the strength in storytelling, and then really making your mark, right? Showing students how to share and bring value and make connections. So we're, mm-hmm. we're really excited about this because mm-hmm. look, if, if I can get hundreds of students to launch companies, like that's amazing. That would be a dream, <laughs> but I would rather have thousands and tens of thousands of students mm-hmm. that 
are confident and caring and kind, but are emboldened to take charge of their future and not believe any longer that the keys to their success are held by a few people along their academic journey, that they need to follow this traditional and very rigid path. I'm not anti-college, as I said in, in the pitch, you know, to showcase skills to your top university, but you have to have clarity. If you're going to go $100,000 in debt with no guarantee to ever really be able to pay back that money, you need to really know what you're going to do in the world. And I'm, I'm really excited that this mm. is sort of this next next step in this journey of, of me as an educator, me as a mentor, uh, and just as someone really passionate about making a difference in the world. That sounds really great. And are you guys open to having international folks and join in on that? That should be well? our biggest problem that we ha- that we have to figure out how international students and time zones, yeah. right? I, I will take any student that is curious and any student that is motivated, deserves to be in this space, deserves Mm -hmm. to be part of this community. And I think that one of the things that has driven me to focus on the community aspect is, you know, I'm I'm a Hasidic rabbi that, you know, I might not be a rabbi by trade, but I'm based in in an enclave of the Los Angeles Jewish community. And I made a decision in 2009 to go out into the world via the internet and connect with educators that then turned into conferences in person all over the country. Up until the pandemic, it was actually meant to be all over the world. I had a mm-hmm. bunch of international opportunities that were slated for March uh, March through June that were unfortunately <laughs> uh, you know, postponed. Mm-hmm. But I've realized that there is, if you want to be an incredibly successful professional, Diversity of experience is super valuable. Diversity of ideas is even better, but diversity of of people that you connect with. And what I saw in my travels, at least in the United States, is I think one of the things that, that I feel I owe such a debt of gratitude is my network of educators of all walks of life, of races, religions, cultures, geographical location. I mean, just all of that. Mm-hmm. And those people make me better. And I hope I make them better as well. And I really want students to engage in those experiences with connecting with people that are beyond the, you know, the, the 30 miles around their mm-hmm. reality every day, because I think that's going to make them better professionals and better people. That's fantastic. I completely agree with you. I am on board. (laughs) Where do I sign up? I think that's (laughs) fantastic. So Michael, where can people get in touch with you and find out more about your work? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, Twitter is probably the easiest way to connect to me. Uh, The Mm -hmm. Tech Rabbi is my social handle for for every every platform that I'm Mm -hmm. on. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You have the, the website, Let's Double Up. Uh, also, the Tech Rabbi is my is my personal brand site, uh, Facebook page, YouTube channel, right? Like all all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Clubhouse for for any educators that are listening to this, highly recommend that you get an invite to get on Clubhouse. It's only for iOS right now. It's a little bit annoying. They're doing kind of a a scarcity <laughs> model. 
Uh, but I think it's because they they didn't anticipate how quickly the community would grow. And I think right. if they opened it up for everyone, the system would just crash. Uh, right. They have a million users <laughs> that they have oh, wow. gotten since uh, April um, of last year. So it's, it's pretty active. And I think for educators, there's two, of course, always another really cool medium for educators to connect with educators. Mm. But I think this is a new space that educators really need to look at how they can diversify their PLN beyond mm -hmm. educators to learn from professionals, to gain insights, but also to connect their students to those types of really amazing conversations around really important themes. So um, mm. I am super obsessed with Clubhouse right now. Uh, I don't know if you could tell in the sound of my voice, but <laughs> I'm learning ear yeah, to ear. <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone who's listening will definitely go check that out. And so, Michael, I really appreciate it. I want to be respectful of your time, and I do appreciate all the time you've you've shared with me. It's been an honor talking with you, and I hope that we can follow up after your your kids launch all these different startups and that your less double up is a huge success. I'd love to <laughs> follow back up with you later. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, this, this was exciting. I really had a, a great time. Your questions, wow. the way that you guided the conversation was, was really amazing for me to really be reflective. And that's why I love these, these, these conversations. And I hope that that reflection can bring value and, and new insight to your audience. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and a podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We'll see you on the next episode.